you know, as Christians, we have to understand and, and be real with where we are. That's what we have to see first, individually. And what where our mindset is and what we desire. Airing the Addisons. I think what God is really calling us back to, it's those individual personal revivals in our own lives where we're like, oh Lord, what have we done? We have minimized you. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. As the church, man, we should be on the forefront yes. of making disciples, of indoctrination and godly things. If we don't train our kids, they will not be able to stand. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Aaron Addison. On American Family Radio, thank you so much for listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And we are broadcasting live and live direct from North Dallas Community Bible Fellowship. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Everything is... Everything really is bigger in Texas. Like, see extra right there. <laughs> like, just, you know, this, I think, let me say this. We've, we've had a lot of firsts. We broadcast on location pretty regularly, you know, when we can. Yeah. And um, we did do a broadcast once where it was in front of a Zoom audience. Yeah, so was it was different. live, but not like live, like what, right. like what we're doing here. So this right. is an airing the Addison's first in front of a live that's studio true. audience where that's you guys true. are actively here. Awesome. We can hear you and everything. So that's really cool. We are going to continue this. <laughs> this is the next phase of actually the conference. This is officially a conference session and a live radio broadcast, which I think might be another first. Are you sad that that's not happening on the Hamilton Corner? Oh, Abraham, <laughs> let, me just, let me just say Abraham Hamilton III is joining us. And this, yeah, yeah go up. ahead, guys. No, that's fine. Show your love, Texas. Show your love for Abraham Hamilton III. His wife is also here, Maria Hamilton III, who is also facilitating the instruction and the training um, and the robust teaching and defense of the faith for mm -hmm. the kids who are here. Um, but yeah, this, you know, this isn't happening on the Hamilton Corner, <laughs> is it? Wherever I am. It's the Hamilton Corner. <laughs> so, so with this, I'm literally sitting at the corner of the table. Oh, he's he taking over. <laughs> Do with that what you will. Wow. Oh, man. That is such a powerful illustration. Yes, there you go. Touche, you got me. All right. We, the theme of this conference is holy design. Mm -hmm. And man, the content has just been so rich and so provocative toward holiness, like mm -hmm. living and understanding what it is to be set apart and set apart unto, right? Mm -hmm. Set apart for and set apart unto. And you talked about that in, I think, two sessions ago. And so I was hoping, mm -hmm. Abe, that we could get into that a little bit, kind of unpack some of your presentation for the sake of our listeners and mm -hmm. then also for the sake of running a highlighter over it for the conference attendees. Yeah, um, the, the major, uh, the biblical source for that was Romans chapter 12, verses uh, 1 and 2 in particular, which it should always be noted that when the Apostle Paul is articulating that to the Roman, Romans, it's about 57 AD uh, when he writes that epistle, and he's writing to Christians who are in Rome. Mm. And to the Christians in Rome, he is writing and saying, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so uh, when Paul is writing that, he is highlighting the reality that it is possible, if we are not intentional about counteracting this, it is possible for Christians to be conformed in their, their mind mm -hmm. to the ways of the world. And, and what we talked about this morning, and I know you've talked about this as well, uh, that the word there, conformed, is from the Greek word, suskematizo, 
which literally means to follow the pattern of another mm. and specifically to follow the pattern pattern of something that you are not. Mm. And so uh, as we discussed that, we specifically talked about the necessity of not only professing that we are born again, but mm-hmm. living the lives of this set apart, set apart unto, separate from, and dedicated to reality, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. which is uh, the theme of the conference here is holy design, mm-hmm. and the shirts here on the back of them, they have the Greek phrase, you know, hagios icon, which, mm. which literally means holy imagery, holy icon, and that, that word hagios literally means distinct from, separate from, yes. and dedicated unto, and so to make that idea, to kind of crystallize it, my, my, my children know I'm, I like to drink tea. Mm-hmm. And I use the, the, the word picture that in my cabinets, I have a mug. It's a particular mug. It's not different from any other mugs on its own, but it's separate from the other mugs because it is daddy's mug. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it is distinct from the other mugs because of its designation, but it's not merely distinct from them because it's di- different from them. It's distinct from the other mugs because it's, and it is, should I say, dedicated to a particular usage daddy's usage Mm -hmm. that is that hagios reality as followers of the lord jesus christ we are separate from the world but not for separateness's sake if Uh, that's a world yeah that makes sense it is separate from because we are separated unto him Mm -hmm. so it is because of Mm -hmm. that dedication to him that should color and guide and govern everything that we are everything that we think and everything that we do i'm wondering what the difference looks like um to be separated from but not have the understanding that you are separated unto. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think we may see some of that in our culture where, where maybe people understand, okay, I'm separate from this world. Mm-hmm. I'm not of this world. I'm in it, but I'm not of it. But not understanding that that concept goes a step further mm-hmm. and it's unto the purpose mm-hmm. that God has. Talk about the difference there that might be important to highlight. Yeah, the, the, the difference there is, is not merely identifying what you're separated from, like I said earlier. So mm-hmm. a, pr- a practical example is when it comes to navigating issues of the day, we don't just say we have a difference of opinion. OK, we don't merely as Christ followers have a difference of opinion. The reality is the only opinion in our economy, if you will, that matters is his opinion. Mm, amen. So before we should endeavor to engage in any conversation and any dialogue, our first go-to, if you will, would say, what has God said about this? Mm-hmm. Because what I may think or may not think really is not relevant, yeah. nor isn't really not relevant. Even if you give it relevance, that should certainly not govern how we respond to this particular issue. And mm-hmm. so one of the things I highlighted today, the common usage of the term race, you know, yeah. where did that yeah. come from? And why do we think the way we think about what we think? Okay, before we even should delve into any of those conversations, what does God say about the matter? Yes, Mm. yes. What does God say about the matter? And so this morning I talked a bit about uh, the reality of Samuel Morton, who was a predecessor for Charles Darwin, who had this, he's known as the father of scientific racism, basically, uh, who rejected biblical creation and said that what you observe in terms of what you might believe as people is actually evidence of separate creation events Mm -hmm. (laughs) where some people you encounter you think they're people but they're actually evidence of a subhuman strata Mm -hmm. (laughs) in route to becoming human how do you know which ones is which oh yeah you look based on the skin color yeah the darker they are the further from human they are the lighter they are it's skin shades uh the closer to humanity that they are and then darwin picks up that applies this macroevolutionary theory to the animal kingdom first in his most popular book people refer to as on origin of the species but the full title is on origin of the species by means of natural selection and the struggle for the preservation of favored 
races. And then 11 years later, he writes his next work, The Descent of Man, where he applies this theorem to mankind, where mm -hmm. he ultimately says that when you experience that may look like people to you of a darker shade, you're witnessing the evolutionary process in motion mm -hmm. and that they're in route to full-blown humanity. And so uh, that antichrist and unbiblical anthropology is what undergirds the common notion of discourse discussions of so-called race. I love that you said antichrist. And, and I think so <laughs> mm -hmm. often even people would reject this because from like a caricature of, mm -hmm. of human um, development and growth, people would say, well, just like if you were cartooning this, doesn't make sense. There's some people who could arrive at that. Mm -hmm. But I think as a Christian, and this is what it is to be holy, to be set apart, we have an objection almost with an attitude. Mm -hmm. It's an objection that, man, this kind of like uh, strikes right at the authority of scripture. This strikes right at the Imago Dei, what mm -hmm. is being suggested here. And when we don't arrive there, when we don't arrive at that conviction with attitude, which I'm using to kind of emphasize like a strong rejection of this. It's not just, I don't like that. It makes mm -hmm. me uncomfortable or like that's just wrong. It is, hold on a second. You are defying my God. Yes. You are trying to contend against the Holy One, right? Yes. Does that cause a different type of cultural engagement? It, it should because what we're experiencing when this happens, when you have the, pre the, the prevalence of the presentation of an unbiblical anthropology, you, it is a reiteration of the hissing, slithering serpent once again saying, did God surely say? You know, when, when you have this, this presentation, it is, well, God may have said that, but we have a better idea about it. And so it requires that type of visceral objection because content or the notion is being asserted is not only a divergent opinion, as I said, it's an assault or should I say, it's an, it is a, it's an attempt to usurp the mountain that should be our God, you know? So uh, that's why it beckons that type of visceral objection. You know, you both talked about obedience as we talk mm. about holiness. Can y'all unpack that? Both of y'all mentioned how important obedience is. I think I, you presented on this before me, and so you made this observation as you were going through Peter. Do you want me to go? Yes. Okay. Um, so obedience is like the expected feature of Christianity. It's not something that should even be a surprise to us that the presentation that we are the Lord's is that we obey him, that mm -hmm. we submit to him. I think it's so interesting that we have um, this idea that holiness, and I mentioned this before, that holiness is a denomination or that it's it's a certain time of the year or something like that where we give greater attention to the fact that we live in compliance with God's commands. This is something that should be a feature of the Christian life. And it's interesting to note that Jesus modeled this for us. He lived an obedient life. He lived a life where he submitted his will to the will of the Father. And so important was this submission that he talked about it. He talked about it. Hmm. I've not come to do my will, but the will of the Father. I do what the Father has told me to do. All that the Father has given to me, I've not lost any of them. He was constantly pointing back to the Father. And I think it's so important for us when we're reading scripture to understand that this is the word of God, not containing the words of God, but that this is the word of God. And so those things that are prescriptive in scripture, we must take with the full weight and the full authority. I would say this, it seems in light of 1 Peter chapter 1, which is where I came from this morning, um, in light of 1 Peter chapter 1, where the apostle Peter is sort of like reminding his audience. First, he identifies himself as an apostle with full authority to write as, as such. Then he identifies his audience, right? So it's those who are the sojourners, okay? Mm -hmm. They're the resident aliens here in, in the world, all right? This is not your permanent state. 
But then he talks about how you can become that sojourner, right? This is by the will of God. And then, interestingly, in chapter 1, obedience is mentioned three times. The Apostle Peter highlights this fact, and it almost becomes, and I'm going to make this statement and then have you jump off on this if you don't mind. He makes this statement that almost signifies that obedience is a defining characteristic of your citizenship. Mm -hmm. So in other words, like if you are a citizen of heaven, he goes on in 1 Peter chapter 1 and says, if you call on him as father, if you Mm. call on God as father, in other words, Mm. so that's familial language. Then he also uses civil language. What is your residency, right? Mm -hmm. And this is to be clearly understood by the way you behave. Mm -hmm. So the way you behave tells the world of your citizenship whether you are of God's kingdom or of another. Mm-hmm. It, it is absolutely what Peter's articulating because in the second chapter of, of that same epistle, which is what I just finished talking about. In, Isn't it neat how Pastor James pulled this all together? It's almost like he read the book and then eh, was like, yeah, that's kind of clever. Yes. <laughs> no, not almost. It was fantastic. Right, right. Um, but in, in the passage to where Peter in chapter 2, the same epistle you just mentioned, uh, he employs the term that the, the people of God, the citizens of the Lord's eternal kingdom, are in the King James, the peculiar people. Yes. Or in the NESB and the ESV, it says a people for his own possession. Well, what's interesting is Peter is not inventing that terminology. He's actually citing what Yahweh says in Exodus chapter 19. Mm-hmm. It, it's not commonly understood, but chapter 19 and chapter 20, obviously, they follow chronologically. Chapter 20 is where we have the Ten Commandments. Yahweh never intended to give the Ten Commandments to Moses and have Moses convey that to the rest of the people of Israel. That was not his intention. In Exodus 19, Yahweh clearly says, Moses, everybody is to come and meet me atop Mount Sinai. Everybody is to come here. And then he specifically says why. In chapter 19, verse 5, he says, now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my peculiar people. Mm. The peculiarity is afferred, if you will, or, or, or conveyed, if you will, by the people's obedience, mm. citizenship, residency as God's chosen people of his own possession is based in their obedience. Oh, so when Peter then in quoting this, interestingly enough, to a Gentile audience in first Peter chapter two, when he quotes that, he says that you shall be a chosen genos a royal priesthood, a holy nation, the same thing that Yahweh said in Exodus 19. Becoming, having an entire nation of priests is not a New Testament phenomenon desire. Yahweh desired that all in the Old Testament. Further proof of one author. We are broadcasting live and direct from North Dallas Community Bible Fellowship. This is Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. We'll be right back after this. Hello? Hey, stranger. Oh, hi. Thank goodness it's you. I was afraid to answer the phone. Why? What's up? The credit card companies are after me. They want me to make payments and the calls never stop. Ouch. Been there before, but I got help from Trinity Debt Management. Trinity? Yeah. I called and right away, Trinity contacted my creditors and got my interest rates cut in half. They ended all the late fees and over-limit charges, and they stopped those annoying phone calls. Bet that was a relief. Yep. Then they put me on a plan that consolidated my bills and 
into one easy monthly payment. That way, I paid off my debt fast while saving thousands. Nice. Trinity even showed me how to plan and meet a monthly budget. So now I'm debt-free for keeps. Wow. Do you still have their number? Sure. Here, write this down and call 1-800-788-1813. Can you repeat that? 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. This is Bible League International. Thank God your pastor wasn't attacked on Sunday, but it happened to Pastor Nepo recently while preaching in Burundi, Africa. Twenty radicals dragged him down the aisle to the front lawn where they beat him nearly to death because he's been faithfully sharing the gospel with Muslims and nearly 200 have come to Christ in his village where Christians are attacked daily. Anyone who comes to Jesus as their Lord and Savior are easily persecuted. In coastal India, Jayanth planted a church in a village with no Christians, and today more than half of that village follows Christ, but it did not come easy. His house was burned down twice. His wife was assaulted, and many in the church have been threatened with death, but they're not praying for an end to their suffering. They're praying for Bibles to endure and persevere. We're halfway to our goal to send God's Word to 16,000 Bibleist persecuted believers, and we need to wrap up in a week. So at $5 a Bible, $100 sends 20. Will you call 800-YES-WORD? 800-YES-WORD or give at sendbiblesnow.org. Sendbiblesnow.org. And God bless you for From the Pacific Justice Institute, this is The Legal Edge, defending your rights as a Christian, a parent, and a citizen. Here's Brad Davis. Members of the House recently passed a bill that seeks to codify same-sex marriage into law because they fear supposedly that the Supreme Court will eventually overturn the 2015 decision that legalized same-sex marriage in the nation. Well, Pacific Justice Institute has for two decades now fought long and hard to protect the Constitution and its proper parameters. If such a bill becomes law, it will only perpetrate the dangerous gender and sexuality ideologies taught in schools today. Please join PJI in prayer that the Senate does not approve the bill. PJI provides legal representation without charge. Get exclusive email updates by registering for The Legal Insider at pji.org. Welcome back to Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. We are broadcasting live and direct from North Dallas Community Bible Fellowship. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Where I have met some of my cousins who flew in from McKinney. Uh, um. And by fluent, she meant drive. (laughs) Just drove down. Um, But man, we're having a great time. Um, This is the Disciple Life uh, Conference, and the theme of the conference is Holy Design. Mm -hmm. We went to the break, but during the break, there was a question uh, from the audience. Jayla, our young sister Jayla, who is in college, I believe she's Mm -hmm. a sophomore in college, she stood up and she asked a question about showing compassion in today's culture. And you think about what we're talking about, living distinct and separate apart lives, it requires, seems like a soft word. 
it demands that we tell the truth. Mm -hmm. And her question was, how do we do that? Like, we're not afraid to tell the truth, but we are well aware of the fact that we live in a culture that presents the telling of the truth as a type of hatred or even disdain for the person to whom we're telling the truth. Mm -hmm. Abe, how would you respond to that? Yeah, I would say you should ask Miki because she has a great um, answer <laughs> to this question. But in addition to what I know, because I, I know Miki plus um, I eat gumbo at her house sometimes. Um, this is true. That one thing that we have to get come to terms with is that the gospel is offensive. Mm. Mm. The offensiveness, the offensiveness of the gospel, however, is not belligerent, mm. meaning that it's not boisterous, it's not loud, it's not insulting for the purposes of demeaning, but it is offensive because it confronts us in our sin. So sometimes when the world demands of a Christian that you need to show compassion towards me, what they really mean is that you need to hollow out the portions of your presentation that you call the gospel um, that would no longer allow me to be comfortable no, not only comfortable, celebratory in my sin. Mm. And we have to employ discernment. And I don't, when I say discernment, I don't mean like you have to have Diane Warwick on speed dial. What, what, I, <laughs> what I mean by that is we have to be able to distinguish as the Spirit of God leads us between those who are genuinely hurting and those who are, who are attempting to disarm us of the potency of our presentation, which is the gospel. Mm -hmm. You can do a lot of conversation around the periphery, you know, I understand. I understand where you're coming from. But if you absent the gospel, which confronts us in our sin, mm -hmm. that there's only one name under heaven by which men must be saved, saved, that because he is the designer of our calling, he is also the sole definer. Holiness is not something that I have arrived at on my own, but it's a, it's a standard that he has articulated, articulated that I'm endeavoring to live up to as well. Mm -hmm. I am sharing with you what I am endeavoring to submit myself to at the same time. Yeah. So there is no uh, kind human way to sidestep the offensiveness of the gospel because it does offend sin. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Clap. yeah. yeah. That's fine. <laughs> um, Abe, you mentioned in your presentation, the last one, about the prophetic references that, that Peter would go yes. back to the Old Testament. Could you unpack that a little bit more as an indictment yeah. on the people? Yeah, and it's, and it, I mean, I, man, I love the Word of God. I love the Word of God Amen. so much so. Uh, when you see in the first verse of the first chapter of this epistle, uh, Peter specifically points out the areas in the, the, the existing world at the time that he is intending this epistle to address. Mm -hmm. Believers chosen by God to obey from Cappadocia, Bithynia, Asia, these areas that if you parallel this to Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 9, is the very areas that the Spirit of God prevented Paul from going into, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is a biblical demonstration of what, look, what it looks like when the, the entire body is functioning. You know, you may have an aspect of the country or group of people that you may be more effective in ministering to. I may have a different one, but as the body of Christ, every joint supplies, everything gets covered. Then you have Peter addressing, this is one of the rare occasions, because you may recall, Peter spent the bulk of his apostleship serving uh, Messianic believers, Jewish believers. This epistle is one to where he's communicating in a largely Gentile area, but this doesn't prohibit Peter from referring to the Hebraic scriptures as authoritative. Mm. <laughs> in our time and in our day, we have people that are saying, well, in order for you to be able to be effective in this culture, you need to be this in order to be effective. 
And I would simply say, I understand where you're coming from, but does the word of God truly support that? Mm. I don't have to become a prostitute to be someone who could minister to prostitutes. Right. right. I don't right. have to become, you know, engaged in, a, in a, an adulterous, whoremongerous lifestyle to be an effective minister to those. Now, it doesn't mean that I, I um, in, am callous in my distance from them, uh, but Peter doesn't, doesn't conceal his reference to the Hebraic scriptures as authoritative because its authority is not based on the culture to which the scripture is present, presented to us from. The authority is based on who is presenting the scripture. Mm-hmm. And so one of the major points that I, wanted, I was endeavoring to make through that is to say very simply yet resolutely to the believer, preach the word. Amen. Mm. Amen. Preach the word. Amen. Preach Amen. the word. Don't allow culture or circumstances even to cause you to be so sensitive to the circumstances to where you absent the true source of potency to address wow. the oh, difficulty of the circumstance. Yeah. yeah. You know, this, this mm. Abe, what you're expressing takes practice. Yeah. We, we have got to practice this expression so that it becomes new natural. Mm. You see what I did there? Why y'all didn't clap for that? Why y'all didn't clap? Y'all clapping for A? It's because he's a lawyer? No. Why A? He's a lawyer. So y'all clap for that. No, I'm kidding, guys. I'm kidting. No. Um, sort oh, of. Miguel, it's so good because the scripture says the Hebrew no, writer, go ahead, go ahead. by reason of use, we have our senses exercised. So when you say we should practice this, it's not like it's rehearsal. It's practicing like an attorney practices law. Practicing like a doctor practices medicine. It is the employment of our profession in a routine in, a, in such routine that it becomes mm. supernatural. Come on. <laughs> yes, yes, we can do it. Don't Bar. stop. This is Aaron the Addison. Stop clapping for the Hamilton corner. <laughs> and and on, it's on literally the, the, the corner, corner the right table. here. No, I'm joking. There is no rivalry nah. at all. Nah. Um, but listen, re- yeah. like, go ahead. No, keep unpacking that because I think that that is what we overlook. We, listen, we are often awed by people's wonder of us if we're honest right so we want to have conversations with people where they walk away um contemplating the profundity of what we have said what if we aimed at having people walk away from a discourse with us contemplating the profundity of God's word. Amen. Like what if we brought the word into every situation, but Mm. it takes intentionality. Mm -hmm. It doesn't come natural to us Mm -hmm. because we're kind of prone to just, well, I have a thought, let me respond. But what if we filled ourselves up with the word and responded with scripture? Amen. We will be far more effective ambassadors. Yeah. Mm. We'll be far more effective witnesses Uh, because the the call is not to make clones of ourselves, but to call, to make disciples of Christ. Amen. Amen. It will aid us against self-righteousness, imposing our standards that are not grounded in the scripture upon other people. And we, we would become uh, habitual uh, pointers to the source as the source. Amen. Mm. Amen. Mm. Amen. You know, I was thinking I wanted to go back to Jayla's question just a bit here yeah. and responding to people with compassion and telling them the truth. And there was one thought that occurred to me that when people ask us questions, sometimes it's helpful just to sort of address the elephant in the room right up front. And what do I mean when I say that? So Jayla, you are in Gen Z, right? So you're born after 1997 and before 2012. So you, this is your generation. And your generation is largely driven by feelings and emotions, like largely driven by feelings and emotions, and really has been taught, some might say conditioned, to want empathy and to expect empathy. And we might wonder, well, what's the difference between that expectation versus compassion? Well, as I suggested during the break, empathy is not in any position to, to initiate 
a change. Empathy says, step into my shoes, feel what I feel, cry with me, sorrow with me. What empathy does not give you um, the ability to do is to make a judgment call on what you're feeling with a person. So you can't assess whether or not it's right for that person to feel that or wrong for that person to feel that. You're just supposed to feel with them. Mm. So you have to address that as a Gen Zer, meaning, say, for example, you go into a situation and you've got a person who is a real life scenario. You've got a person who is upset because um, he perceives himself to be in the wrong body. Our culture today says, try to see that from his perspective. Feel with him. Don't try to offer solutions. Don't try to offer any judgment. Just feel with him. And we call that empathy. Compassion, as demonstrated by Jesus, requires the teaching of truth. So here's what you would have to do to address that elephant in the room. You'd have to go into that situation and say, hey, you know what we both know? We both know that we don't have, in this culture, large interest in truth, just feelings. Hmm. So my question is, do you want me to bring truth to your situation? If not, I can't just feel with you because to agree with you in feels, okay, is wrong. It's sinful. Now, what does that do when we bring that in into the discussion? Man, it disarms that person. Why? Because they're now expecting you to stick close to truth. You've not been vague about that. You've not gone into a conversation where you're like thinking that you're gonna drop Oprah nuggets. No, you're, you're telling right up front, hey, all that I have, I'm gonna give to you. And all that I really have is the truth of God's word, not my opinion. Guys, listen to me. The LGBTQ, and I'm making a shift here, the LGBTQ plus issue is the issue for Generation Z. If you've got George Barna at Arizona Christian University saying 39%, so let's just round it up. Everybody's good at this kind of math. That's 40% of Generation Z saying that they identify as LGBTQ+. That is an astronomical number. You're, you're almost sitting at 50%, half of this generation falling into that category. When you also take into consideration those who would be the allies, mm-hmm. Guys, have you ever wondered why there's such a push for us to be allies? Why are we so pushed to like, hey, we need advocates, we need allies, we need people who are gonna stand up for us. Could it be that the enemy of our soul knows better than we do that to ally with sin is sin? Mm. Mm. Could it be that the enemy knows that? Uh, think about that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, could it be that the enemy knows that? Romans 1. Come on. That, that's what the Apostle Paul pointed out. It's not only those who are directly firsthand participants in this particular abomination, it is those who are enablers, if you will, and supporters of it who are partakers (laughs) of that sin. And then, like, as the the, the Lord instructs us in identifying elders and shepherds in the Lord's church, said, don't elevate any man suddenly, don't lay hands suddenly, watch, and not become a partaker Mm. (laughs) Mm. in in another's sin if they're not qualified. So so, so you have, you know, you, you have that phenomenon and and when you see as you put out f- nearly 40 percent of gen c gen z identifying that way mm-hmm. what percent of that remaining 60 percent are the enablers Allies. yes yeah. yeah you know the the number gets to be astronomical i would say pretty quickly mm-hmm. I, and and i don't know those numbers but i can sense those numbers by what i see in the culture yeah 
I can sense those numbers when I talk to young people. If, look, if I'm, if I'm talking to young Christians, those who identify as Christians, and I'm telling young Christians Christian things, and those young Christians are angry about the Christian things, mm -hmm. then we've lost them. Now they hold on to the title because it was the title that their parents conferred upon them. They're not truly followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I want to ask this question, and, and Abe, maybe you have a response to this. It's something that I've been thinking about for the last several weeks here. When we talk about Christianity and we talk about the temptation, the pressure even, to edit portions of Christianity so mm -hmm. that we remain comfortable, mm -hmm. right? Or the people who call themselves Christians, but they edit portions of Christianity because they don't like it. My question is this, why Christianity at all, if mm -hmm. not all? Mm -hmm. Like what would be comforting to someone? And I've been thinking about this and I don't have a clear answer, but I'm wondering mm -hmm. why is it that people would continue calling themselves Christians while rejecting huge portions of what defines a person as a Christian? Yeah, it, it reminds me of, I forget the author's name, but he diagnosed it as non-Christianity, but he called it moralistic therapeutic deism. Mm. Mm. To where it is not worshiping God as he has revealed himself in his word. It is the worship of a God of our own creation, but it has moralistic underground underpinnings. It's personally therapeutic. It aids us in feeling good about us mm. and cre allows the kind of Americana community in our nation that has been ascribed to Christianity is no different. Like, and this is connected to your, your, your point about the allyship amongst Gen Z. The major touchstone for a lot of self-described pastors who have become heterodox in their theology concerning sexuality, that's a fancy way of saying now they believe gay people can still be Christians and homosexuals can still be Christian, things of that nature. Usually, the reason why that has happened is because they have a child who is bound in homosexuality or a close friend or family member. So, if not Christ following, then why, if not all of it, then why any of it? Because, in this instance, some of these pastors keep their jobs. <laughs> they keep their sense of church community, mm -hmm. but they just adjust and redefine what it means to be a Christian. So you get all of the benefits without the responsibilities. Man. Mm. Okay. I, you know, I don't know what it would take for us, and I'm, I, I'm not trying to create a glory day that was never a glory day, but we can look back in the history of Christianity and see more of a steadfastness among believers. I mean, that's just a fact. When you have those who are willing to be fed to wild dogs, mm -hmm. that's a different caliber of Christian. You're not just there for the parking spot at church. It's one who has a greater, greater grasp on the gravity of eternity than time. This is Erin the Addisons on American Family Radio. We are joined by Abraham Hamilton III, broadcasting live and direct from North Dallas Community Bible Fellowship in Plano, Texas. We'll take a quick break and be right back. The AFA Resource Center has all your favorite items. Everything from books, movies, shirts, and even hats. Introducing AFA's polyester and twill hats, starting at just $18. 
Whether you're into fashion, a collector, or you're just having a bad hair day, these hats are just what you need. You can buy one for yourself or a friend. Purchase your AFA hat today at resources.afa.net. Rejecting all prior safety protocol, the FDA just approved the Pfizer COVID shot for babies down to six months of age. I'm Sam Rohr, host of Stand in the Gap Weekend, heard Sunday from 6 to 7 p.m. Central Time. Now with overwhelming evidence of COVID shot-induced worldwide death and disability, why would our government encourage this damaging shot for our vulnerable babies and children? Join me and Dr. Gordon Donaldson as we discuss Protect Our Children Now, Sunday from 6 to 7 p.m. Central Time. Did you know that over 62 million babies have been aborted since Roe versus Wade? Every single one of these babies' lives was dear and precious. Why isn't the world declaring these babies as lost? Here's Dan Steiner, the president of Preborn, a ministry dedicated to saving babies' lives from abortion through ultrasound. I sense God's broken heart over the issue of abortion. You see, he sees every little baby that's being formed in the mother's womb, and it breaks his heart to see when the lifetime that he has planned for them is taken from them violently so often. The Ministry of Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country, introducing women considering abortion to their precious preborn baby. By letting a mother see her baby on ultrasound and hear the heartbeat, she'll choose life 80% of the time. To find out more, go to preborn.com or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. For over 40 years, American Family Association has stood for righteousness and God's truth in our nation. American Family Association Executive Vice President Ed Vitagliano. AFA is here every day fighting for the future of America, and praise be to God, we're making a difference. One important way you can join us in the battle is through a charitable gift annuity with the AFA Foundation. The charitable gift annuity benefits you, and it benefits the culture-transforming work of American Family Association. Contact the AFA Foundation today to learn how you can shore up permanent income for your retirement years while supporting American Family Association. A charitable gift annuity helps you, and it allows AFA to impact America for generations to come. Phone 800-326-4543, extension 345. That's 800-326-4543, extension 345. Welcome back to Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio, where we, yes, that, get it started. I mean, we're broadcasting. They're like, this is our last time. Well, maybe as we take it out of the program. We're at North Dallas Community Bible Fellowship at the um, Disciple Life Conference. Holy Design is the theme of this year's conference. Um, I'm Miki. And I'm Will, and that was Triple E, Sweet Victory. Our brother Abraham Hamilton III is joining us, and we are talking holy design here mm-hmm. in front of a live studio audience, and Aaron the Addison's and Hamilton Corner first. <laughs> a collaboration. I like how you did that. It's a collaboration. It's like a yeah, yeah. The Lord yeah. works. The Lord works. <laughs> in serious ways. Okay, 
So I, I wanted to make a little bit of a shift here. I wanted to talk about the younger generation mm -hmm. because we cannot ignore Generation Z. I think the question that our sister asked is a great question. And if we go back to that and use it as a, a, a springboard to talk about Gen Z, there are some things that are happening among our kids mm -hmm. that we cannot ignore. And let me say this. Our kids, meaning it, it was one thing to know that it's Christian kids who are dealing with this and having yeah. these problems. It's That's not right. just, you know, children who have parents who are not saved. And, yeah. But Christian children are, are, are fighting back and forth with these issues. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm glad you made that point. Because when I say our kids, and I don't mean to sound all Hillary on this, but I'm meaning, <laughs> <laughs> I'm meaning those, <laughs> sorry y'all, I'm meaning Wait, those. What name did you say? I will, she I, shall never be, president. To, never be president. I'm not trying to talk village talk here, but there is a community that the Lord has given us for the building up of the body. There mm -hmm. is a community where every joint is supplying, right? And so there must be an understanding that in the midst of our local fellowships, man, we have kids. You may they may not be your biological children, but we all have the ability to see the attack of the enemy on our kids. Mm. And how can we ignore that? I was talking during my presentation and talking about the suicide stats for Gen Z. So suicide is the second leading cause of death among people ages 10 to 24 in the U.S. The second leading cause. The first mm. cause of death is accidental, like, you know, random mm. automobile accident, something like that. Right. But the second leading cause is suicide among those ages 10 to 24. That that is Generation Z. Mm. Abe, how do we account for that? Like, what is going on with our children? Mm. Man, there's a lot of things. And you, you, you shared something that I didn't know um, during your presentation, a specific date. Oh, sure. Mm. June. June 29th. Um, June 29th, 2007. And I, and I think, uh, I, I don't think... I know it has a lot to do with it. Do you want to share the significance of that? Yeah, date real that quick, I and then I'll, yeah, I'll go please. back to you yeah. for the spiritual implications of it. So the complete stat is that suicide is the second leading cause of death among people ages 10 to 24 in the United States, and that has been increasing every year since 2007. Mm -hmm. Every year since 2007. And it should be no surprise to us to learn that the iPhone was introduced June 29th, 2007. So in that year is when kids, not too long after the introduction of the iPhone, start getting these phones, these computers in their hands. Yeah, it, and that, that, that resonated with me and it hit me like a ton of bricks because you have several things happening. You have children getting access to information prior to them necessarily needing that in their personal lives and, and also creating a cultural phenomenon of acquiring what the world might say knowledge, I would simply say information without the need of funneling that through an authority source. Mm. You know, oh, yeah. and so it, it's, it's kind of like none of us would put a 10-year-old, well, maybe, let's be, none of us would put like a 6-year-old behind the wheel of a Lamborghini and say, hey, you know, cars are great and we want to bless you. You would recognize that regardless of the cost of the car, that it is something that the child would destroy themselves with. Yeah. But we have the equivalent of informational Lamborghinis being put into the hands of people who are not wow. necessarily wow. mature enough to to handle that. And it, it is also it is an informational Lamborghini combined with a false sense of community. There is no community. Mm -hmm. And so God has made human beings for the purpose of kinetic interpersonal interaction. That's why uh, solitary, solitary confinement is viewed as, a, as one of the most extreme forms of punishment. Uh, because God made human beings for personal, interpersonal, kinetic interaction, yes. not digitized interaction. Yes. 
Mm. A source of digitized in- in- interaction gives you a false sense of community, but it's a buffet line. You can pick and choose what you want. Mm. So you have this consistent source of affirmation in one direction without the real term, real time counterweight like a perfect example i call them keyboard warriors right (laughs) you got people that'll talk slick online (laughs) y'all everybody know what i mean when i say talk slick okay (laughs) talk slick online all caps and such who would never would never speak in all caps and exclamation points 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 in person (laughs) because they have the pseudo filter of the digitized world Mm -hmm. well you have that same phenomenon that's often being foisted onto our younger people and they don't have the internal nor nor substantive uh, human maturation to carry the weight of that interaction. Mm. And so you have, the result is often said, we're the most interconnected that we've ever been in the history of the world while simultaneously being more lonely than we've yes. ever been. Yeah. Yes. It's because the connectedness provides a false sense of community uh, without the real type of community and a part of the, the real type of community, the scripture says it best, Iron sharpens iron. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? In order for that sharpening to take place, that iron must come into contact with each other. Mm-hmm. Mm. You have to have the, the kinetic interaction in order to have the benefit, the sharpening benefit that it, that it does. And so the uptick of the usage, the introduction of the iPhone mm-hmm. obviously has corresponded with the increased usage to, with younger and younger human beings having this false sense of connectedness that's not connected. And you have this false sense of identity that ultimately conveys the notion that your life is not what you mm. think it is your life is not worth what you think it should be worth and you have the the suicide is the most extreme negative end of the spectrum of this lack of connectivity but a part of that same spectrum you have this thwarted sense of reality yes mm. and that you live by like distorted sense of reality that's one of and i don't want to get too graphic but one of the one of the 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 consequences of living in this pornographic society is that people don't view people as people. That's right. Mm. That's right. People view other people as instruments of their own pleasure, which is the physical manifestation of self-centered and selfishness. Yes. You know, and so you have that in social spaces. Even like you hear people talking, oh, I want to get married. Why? Because he makes me happy. (laughs) I want to get married because she makes me feel. So so you have no interest in making her feel anything. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's only about you. Mm. Well, you've been living for the last 25 years, mm-hmm. and the whole world has said, it's all about you. Right. And if you're not happy, you just swipe left. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> okay, if we just stop for a second to think about, like, if we're honest about the effect of social media on us as adults, mm-hmm. our brains are fully formed, okay? So if you think about the effects of that, if we're honest, a lot of times we don't like to admit the effects of social media or even sometimes consuming news stories, right? Mm -hmm. We don't like to admit those effects because that admission really does make us appear weak. So what we do is we pretend that we don't envy and that we don't covet. Mm -hmm. We pretend that we're not jealous. We pretend that we're not depressed. We pretend that people posting hashtag relationship goals don't Mm -hmm. make us despise our spouse, right? Like, why can't you be more like, he got her what ring? (laughs) How are they doing? But it's real. real. How are they doing that? I know he's not making more than you. Mm -hmm. How are they on vacation again? Again. (laughs) She can't get no tanner. Just kidding. That's not, it's just a joke. But here's the point. If we feel that way. As adults. As adults. Mm. If we have to cast those things down and make them obey Christ. Wow. Yeah. We know we do, right? Yeah. 
What about our 15-year-old daughters and sons mm. Mm. who are inundated with Instagram images and TikTok reels that are designed to keep them hooked, mm. to keep them looking and looking mm. and scrolling and scrolling? Mm -hmm. And then we're surprised when they're suicidal. Yeah. We're surprised when they hate the family that you're creating for them. Mm. Generation Z, according to stats, this is Barna research from two years ago. Generation Z is the most diverse generation, culturally, ethnically diverse generation in the history of this country. I mean, some of these stats, like just you would expect that. But Generation Z wants their online world to be reflected in real life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I want you to think about that. So if they go into an online space and there is a certain community that is presented there, certain interactions are presented there, and then they come back to your breakfast table, they're trying to recreate that. Mm -hmm. they, they want that loving, affirming, ap um, empathetic community that they see online. They, they actually want to attend churches based on stats. Gen Z actually wants to attend churches. They want to be in spaces that look like the online communities that they're building. So that means they want to go to a church where there are black people, white people, Asian people, Hispanic people, right? Um, natives. Not because those are souls that they want to see in glory, but because that's, that looks progressive. Hmm. That's, that's, a, that's a forward moving church. So it's not like we, every nation represented around the throne. It is, man, is that going to look good on Instagram if we all white? <laughs> is that going to look good if we all black? Like, I mean, where's the diversity? Is it going to look good if we're all heterosexual? Hmm. These are carefully crafted man. stimuli targeted at our children. Mm-hmm. And when they're sitting on the couch in our living room, guys, listen, and I, I said this during my presentation, I will just say it again, full disclosure, we have six children, ages 15 down to almost two next month, so I'm just gonna say two. Um, the big three, 15, 14, and 12, do not have cell phones. And it has not yet been determined when slash if they will. They don't have a need for it. I don't have anything against someone responsibly using a cell phone but we know our children. We can tell our children are allowed to watch pre-approved YouTube channels, which we make them accountable for one another. So they're watching YouTube channels, but we can tell when they start to consume content that is antithetical to the faith because we know them. We watch for changes in their demeanor, changes in their behavior. We watch for sadness. L listen, our daughters, and, and my sister said this earlier, talking about learning tutorials and like the beauty tutorials on YouTube and all this. So I have observed in my daughters, because I'm just going to be real here, because it's one thing to say something and say, hey, we need to do this. But it's something totally different to, to actually say, hey, listen, this is what I'm battling. So I've got a 14-year-old and a 15-year-old. I have been able to observe in them when they've watched some of these content producers that they then begin to envy. All they're doing is like remaking things. So we went to um, the dollar store and we've got this little squishy and we're going to remake this squishy. So this is what I'm working on. And it seems so innocent and I can hear it and all of this. But at the same time, these girls are perfectly put together. They've got their beat face, 
right? Like perfect makeup, perfect presentation, and they've got all the likes and the subscribers, and our kids are watching this, and I start to notice sort of a, um, a mopiness, just like a, a discontent. Guys, we have to know our children. So I say, hey, how you doing? Oh, I don't know, I'm just feeling kind of, I don't know, I'm just, I don't know, just feeling kind of sad today. What have you been watching? What have you been watching? I'm well aware that the things our kids take in through their eyes affect the spirit. Yeah. Like, guys, we can't ignore these things. Some of, some of the hypersexualization of our children, we have commended to them. We have told them that it's okay to consume this content creator. We've told them it's okay for you to watch this. And then they want to wear tops that don't quite meet their bottoms. <laughs> and you're like, in what world do you go out showing your belly? Like, what are we doing? Let me, look guys, let me joke with you real quick, okay? If, if you have on a top, I wanna see you in worship. Hands up like 11, worship, worship. If I see your belly, your shirt's too short. Get your hands up, get your hands up. Do you know what we've done, guys? We have, we have become desensitized to a lot of the stuff that is pervasive in our culture. We don't even notice it anymore, and we don't care a whole lot. Mm -hmm. Some of the beginning of our battle, some of the initiation of our battle is going to be caring. Mm -hmm. Yes? Yeah. Yeah. Seeing it and caring enough to kind of yeah. get in there and say, ah, no, nah, we're not going to let this grow. Mm -hmm. We're not going to continue to facilitate this. Yeah. I'll say one other thing about social media. You can find online, you can Google some of the stats surrounding Instagram. You can Google some of the stats surrounding TikTok. I guarantee you what you find is not going to be pretty, but it is not fatal. Mm -hmm. We have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling us. Amen. The great designer, the great, the one who is creator Amen. and creative Amen. will give us the methods and the means by which to impact our kids' yes. hearts and their minds. But I do believe it begins with caring. Hey, we only have 30 seconds. I know that's a lot to say. Wow. Can you, I'll give you the last word. 15 seconds. Yes. And <laughs> the Lord can help us if we have become desensitized to recalibrate our sensitization, to be resensitized to be uh, cognizant of things that we need to be cognizant of. God bless. God bless. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio. Faith. Family. Freedom.